My name is Pastor Jeffrey, and I'm glad to be here. I am coming from uh, my, the town that I live in is Long Island City, but I'm coming from Astoria Community Church, where I serve as the assistant pastor, and hopefully soon to be church planter in uh, my neighborhood. It's a great joy to be here, and I'm um, privileged that I'm able to come before you all and give to you the word uh, of God. So let us turn to the sermon text, which is found in our uh, bulletins, or you can turn with me in your Bible since page 858. Let me read to you the inerrant word of God. Now his parents went up to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before your word. Lord, be with us. You have promised that where your word is preached, you promised that you would be there in the midst of the people. So I pray for Grace Presbyterian Church, Lord, that you would open their hearts and open their ears so that they would be receptive to your word. I pray for myself that I would speak clearly and only your truths and not foolish, my own foolishness. We pray, Lord Father, that together that we would hear your words and it would transform our lives and that we would love you more and more. Lord, you have promised these things and we expect these things. Meet us here, be with us as we continue to worship you through the preaching of your word. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It is my guess that in the past year, none of you went to a play that depicted teenage Jesus. You probably went to a play that talked about baby Jesus. You probably went to a play that exemplified the cross, but I'm sure that none of you went to any sort of art interpretation of teenage Jesus. But what would it look like? It would be very awkward. First, we see one episode where it's a parent's worst nightmare. They lose their child for a couple days and they can't find him. And when they see Jesus, it's not um, an episode where they said, oh, we're so glad we found you. And Jesus said, I missed you guys so much or anything like that. Rather, Jesus turns to his parents and says, what? You didn't know? <laughs> and, as, and there's no redeeming factor. It's not like uh, Mary says, oh, I, I'm sorry, I should, I should have remembered Isaiah. 
you, you are, yeah, you're supposed to be in the temple and all these things, and, and all these things are supposed to happen. Rather, it ends kind of awkwardly and abruptly. He goes down, there's no resolution. And so as I was reading this passage, I kind of thought how maybe today we think of Jesus. And I think Luke adds this picture of Jesus in because it touches on something that maybe all Christians throughout history kind of struggle with. Seeing Jesus as a person. Um, Reading this passage, I thought of um, this great movie, um, this great artistic piece, Talladega Nights. And I don't know if you've seen it. You can watch it. I'm not recommending it, but it's, uh, your life might be better if you don't watch it. But we see this one scene where Ricky Bobby, who's played by Will Ferrell, he's praying, and he prays to only baby Jesus. And he starts praying to baby Jesus. I love baby Jesus. And then his wife gets very frustrated. He's like, Jesus is a man. He has a beard. The father-in-law says, stop calling him baby Jesus. And then he says, no, I like baby Jesus. You can pray to bearded Jesus, teenage Jesus, doesn't matter. We can pray to whatever Jesus we want. And then he turns to his son and says, what kind of Jesus, who do you, who do you imagine when you pray to Jesus? And, he, and the kid says, I imagine Jesus as a samurai fighting ninjas. <laughs> and while that's, that episode is quite funny, I wonder how much of us, how many of us think of Jesus in that way. We don't think of him as a person but mainly an idea or part of our imagination. And we don't like to see Jesus as a person. Because what happens when we begin to see Jesus as a person is we get to get quite uncomfortable. He begins to kind of disrupt our lives. We can't fit Jesus into a box. And that's why I picked this quote that's found in the front of your program where they talk about Aslan And they talk about, is Aslan safe, the lion? Is he safe to know? And where Mr. Bieber replies, he's not safe. Of course not. But he's good. And he's the king. In which we need to think about Jesus in the same way. Is Jesus safe? He's not safe. He's not necessarily going to make your life easier. But he's good. And he's the king. So how is it do we get to know this Jesus? How do we get to make sure that we're encountering the real Jesus? And I want to suggest to you three ways. The first way is going to be you have to go to church. The second is you're going to have to know Jesus's mission. And third is you're going to have to be humble. So you have to go to church, know Jesus's mission, you have to stay humble, be humble. So first, go to church. Why do we need to go to church to know Jesus? Well, let's first look at Jesus and contemplate what he's doing at church and why it would probably translate for us going to church. In verse 46, after the parents, Mary and Joseph, had lost Jesus, they finally find Jesus, and what is he doing? In verse 46, it says, After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Now, why does he do this? Why did Jesus stay behind and go to the temple courts? Now, some think that Jesus went back to the temple courts because Jesus was so frustrated with the teachings that he was hearing about. And he had to correct them. He had to correct the Pharisees. He had to correct the instructors. But I don't think that's the reason why Jesus went back. Jesus went back to the temple courts because he was genuinely interested 
in learning Scripture. Now I want that to let, and I want that idea or that picture to sit with you for a bit. If you know who Jesus is, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Yet he went to church to learn about the scriptures. Now, why did he go back to learn about the scriptures? And that's the really important question. Why did he go back to learn about the scriptures? Well, what do the scriptures principally teach? What is it that we learn from scriptures? Now, some might say, wait a minute. Don't we read scriptures to learn about Jesus? Did he go to temple to learn about himself? Yes and no. Maybe a better way to summarize what we actually find in scriptures or in the Bible is this. The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. It's two things. What we're supposed to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. So I want to, I want to dwell on the first point a little bit. Jesus went to the temple to know what he had to learn about God. Jesus had to go to temple to learn about God. This in itself is amazing. Here we encounter Jesus' humanity. He was going to learn about God the same way we learn about God. It was going to be primarily through the Bible, through the scriptures. But then one has to ask the question, why then does he have to go to church? This scene could have easily been Mary and Joseph, loses, they lose Jesus, they go back to Jerusalem, and they find Jesus in the courtyard reading all the scrolls to himself. But rather, where do they find Jesus? In the temple courts, interacting with other church members. The reason why we see Jesus doing that, because he understands that the people of God is where God dwells. There is special revelation in the scriptures, but there is something significantly important about talking and learning about scriptures with a community, with people. We have to depend upon each other. And look, and more importantly, this is what Christ says. In verse 49, he says, Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? In the church is where God dwells. Is quiet time important? Absolutely. You need to know God in that way. But there is something special that takes place when we gather as a community and hear the preaching of the word and instruction of the word. God especially dwells with his people here. And he uses each and every single one of us to help us understand who God is. And that's the amazing thing about Christ our Lord. He is so fully human that he cannot just learn it by himself. But he depends upon the church to learn about his father. And so it might be easy to say, if Jesus goes to church, you need to go to church. But more than that, there's something special that happens here. 
And I think each one of you can attest that something special happens here on Sundays that can happen during the week or in our individual lives. Because oftentimes we need each other to have a fuller picture of who God is. There are so many times that I've been wrong about scripture where I say, I think God wants me to date this woman. And then they say, Jeff, she doesn't like you. Stay away from her. And I need to hear that sometimes, right? Or sometimes we'll say, I think God is telling me to do this. Or God maybe doesn't want me to love this person. God doesn't want me to serve in this way. And then we have brothers and sisters who say, no. We've been praying for you, brother. We've been praying for you, sister. Here's what scripture says. And it is in your best interest to serve in this way. To know Jesus more, you need to know God. And to know God, you need to come to church and dwell with his people and with him. I know it doesn't seem like much when we come here on Sundays, but something magical is always happening as we sing, as we pray, and even as I speak. God is working and God is moving, transforming our hearts, allowing us to see him more. Now, many people try to know Jesus without knowing God, and we can't do that. You have to know who God is in order to know who Jesus is. Many people have tried to know who Jesus is without God, and what they get, quite frankly, is a crazy person. Jesus is a good teacher sometimes, but the other times, he's always saying that he's God and that his direct father is God. So the other times, he's crazy. So you will not know Jesus just by his teachings. You'll have to know Jesus by his identity and how he identifies with the Father, God. So to know Jesus more, you have to know God more. And to know God more, you need to know the scriptures within the context of church. That is how you begin to know God. So that's my first point. Go to church to know God, to know the scriptures, to know Jesus. But more importantly, you have to go to church to also know what duty God requires of men. More importantly, what duty God requires of Jesus. If we look at verse 49 a little bit more closely, we find something interesting. Jesus says in verse 49, and he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now the English translation doesn't do it justice, but that phrase, I must be in my father's house, is a very important clause that will come up over and over again in Luke. I must do this. And anytime Jesus says, I must do this, he's telling his disciples and us his mission. What his mission, what God requires of Jesus. Let me just read a couple, some verses to you in which Jesus says, I must. And see if you can pick up on the mission. So in verse 49, he says, I must be in my father's house. But here, Luke 4, 43, he says, But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. 
Chapter 9, verse 22, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Luke 13, 33, Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. And just for the last one, Luke 22, verse 30 says, For I tell you that Scripture must be fulfilled in me, as he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. Jesus went to church to understand what duty God required of him. And this is something we don't quite think about often, but Jesus had to actually learn how to bend his will towards God. Now, we don't think about that often, that Jesus is God, God is Jesus, the Trinity gets really complicated, so I'm just going to stop thinking about it altogether. But the Bible encourages and prods us to think about Jesus' relationship with God. And what we see is that we have two persons with two separate wills. And Jesus is continually conforming his will to God. How do we know this? In Luke, it comes up again. Chapter 22, verse 42, he says this. On the night before he had to go to the cross, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus' whole life is learning about who God is and learning how to bend his will to do this really tough test. And if you begin to understand that it took effort for Jesus to do this will of the fathers, then you'll begin to understand, or at least certain parts of scripture will come to have more light to them or have more bearing to it. You'll begin to understand why Jesus gets kind of mad at Mary. When I hear other people talk about the scripture of teenage Jesus, they want to somehow justify this reaction of Jesus. Well, Mary should have known. No, Mary should not have known. Or maybe Jesus just had a bad day. No. As Jesus begins to learn about who God is and what he's required, he's beginning to understand that his purpose here in this world is not an easy one. He's learning that he has to suffer. He's learning that he has to be publicly humiliated and executed. He's learning that the people that who, whom he loves will betray him. He's praying that he will have to fight death by himself, that his father will turn his wrath upon him for a moment in time. What we're really seeing is Jesus is learning that he's not going to be a carpenter forever. We're learning that Jesus is not going to get to be an actor or a banker as he had hoped. But he's going to go into the family business of saving souls. Here we see Jesus acting human with angst. It is true angst as he hears about his purpose and life here on earth. Then we begin to realize all those verses that we see in the gospel, we get to see that Jesus really did have a difficult time. Those verses where we see Jesus weep, he truly did feel for us. Or when Jesus 
takes a nap. Praise God that that's in the Bible. Jesus sleeps. And why did he sleep? He was tired. Here we encounter Jesus as fully man. But you can't help feel the tension because he also says, I'm in my father's house. So that also means he had a special relationship with God where he's fully God. What do we do with that? And I don't want to think that we come to some easy resolution. I think Luke places it here to communicate to all of us, Jesus is a lion to be reckoned with. He cannot be put in a box. He does not fit nicely into our idea of family or a person. He is who he is. But we must keep our gaze upon him. Let me tell you, as you begin to realize all these things, the main thing you will figure out as you study the life of Jesus, as you study his mission, as you study these things, what you will begin to realize is this. Just how much he loves you. Why go through all this suffering? Why is Jesus here in the first place? Why does he take this burden and task by himself? And as your amazement grows in the person of Jesus and his mission, you can't help begin to wonder, he did this all for me. This study of Jesus' mission is not so that we could just fill our heads with more knowledge, but it's really to fill our hearts and realize just how deep Jesus his love is for all of us. The more you begin to understand the mission, the more you begin to understand who Jesus is as fully man and fully God and what he had to give up for us, of why he had to die, you will begin to know the great love of our Lord and Savior. I teach youth group at uh, the church that I'm at. And we always ask, and they always think they're more clever than I am. They often are. But I always ask, why did Jesus have to die? And they say, AJ, sin. I go, that's great. You're right. I said, but then I ask one more time, why did he have to die for sin? And have you guys ever thought, why did Jesus have to die for sin? We're going over Genesis, and I talk about Adam and Eve, and I talk about Adam eating organic fruit. And, Je- and I said, Jesus died for this one incident. And the kids are blown away. I don't get it. Why did Jesus have to die on a cross because of this one incident that took place in Genesis? I mean, I've taken fruit from a tree before. And see, what happens is, it seems on a superficial level that we know or we seem to understand the mission of Jesus, but we truly don't because If you delve into the Bible, you see that it's just not an act of taking the fruit, but sin entering the world. And we have to truly examine what sin really is. Why Jesus had to die. Why Jesus couldn't sin. Why Jesus goes to the lost. Why Jesus does all these things. There, in in that place, when you begin to study the mission of sin, of redemption, you begin to see the great, deep, love of 
of Jesus. It's only then, when you study those things, that you really begin to see who Jesus truly is and why he came. So those are the first two points. Go to church. Study his mission. Truly understand why he came, why he died, and the great significance of the resurrection. I know you guys are talking about it now. But I challenge you to dig deeper into it. There you will find gold, and there you will encounter the real Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. But here's an also interesting that, thing that happens as you get to know Jesus. I said, yes, as you get to know Jesus, fully God and fully man, you'll also get to experience the love of Jesus. But here's something that I don't think people expect or get ready for when they study Jesus and study his life and his mission. What usually happens when you get to know the person that you love the most? Your wife, your husband, your mom, your dad. What usually tends to happen? Well, like with all relationships, there tend to be legitimate disagreements, arguments. And here I want to challenge you in this, that when you study all of Jesus, even teenage Jesus, some points you will disagree with Christ. Now let me just say, first and foremost, you will be wrong all the time. <laughs> but that doesn't get rid of the feeling, right? Just because you know it's wrong, it doesn't mean it always connects with the heart. And a lot of Christians struggle with the teaching of Jesus and who he is. Now, just some of them. Topics of sexuality. A lot of people have trouble following or understanding Jesus on this topic. What about another thing that people have problems with is Jesus at many times says, I am the only way that you can get to heaven. Really? I mean, Jesus, I love you, but to say you're the only way? I don't know about that. Or even saying you have to be part of a church. As glorious and wonderful as the church is, people say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. But as you study more and more, you can't separate the two. And so some of you might be there. It's different topics for everyone. As you get to know who Jesus is, you begin to disagree with Jesus. And how should we react? I think Mary gives us the best and most perfect example of how to react to Jesus, who is fully man and fully God. Let's look at verse 50. As Jesus says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? How does Mary react? It says, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. We see a beautiful encountering between Mary and Jesus. And it truly is beautiful because she captures the tension that all of us must deal with. Jesus is still her son in every sense of the word. And as she's probably rebuking Jesus, how can you do this to us? You should have at least communicated to us. You should have at least told us you're going back to the temple. Anything. But Jesus does not respond and saying, sorry, mom. He responds by saying, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, Mary knows that Jesus is still not 
only simply her child, because she knows that this child was conceived miraculously. So she knows that Jesus is her son, but not quite her son, because there's a purpose he's here for. And how does she respond? Does she say, explain to me more? No, I disagree or anything. She doesn't say any of those things. She doesn't understand. And she probably says, I, I don't get what you're saying. You're coming home now. But yet she doesn't re just rebuke Jesus. She treasures. She listened to everything Christ said and she treasured it in her heart. Because she knew as Jesus grew that he was going to be something special. And what I want to challenge you all of you is when you encounter Jesus, you will find places where you say, I don't understand. And maybe in that time in life, you just won't understand. You won't. There was no apologetic study. There's no study out there that will help you come to grips with certain disagreements which you have with, with, that you have with the Bible and Jesus. But I challenge you to be like Mary, knowing who Christ is, and saying, I don't understand, but I will treasure your teachings in my heart. For you have the words of life. You are the great Savior and Lord of creation. I don't agree, Jesus. But I know you are right. Help me to learn of your ways. Help me to do these things. In all our Christian walks, every single Christian will encounter this. I still encounter it, and I guarantee all of you will still encounter it. And we hear it in our conversations amongst our Christian brethren. People will oftentimes say, I love preaching. I hate the music. Or I hate the music. I hate the preaching. Oh, but I love praise and worship. I love attending worship service. But please don't ask me to serve. I think that's not for me. And we have all these things and we have all these things. But here, what I'm challenging us to do is that Christ is asking us to do all these things. He's asking us to worship to him, sing to him, hear the preaching of the word of God, going out on mission for the church. He's asking us to do all these things. And you may disagree. You may have legitimate qualms against certain of these things. But the charge is to open your heart, to know that these are the words of life that these teachings are for the benefit of the world and your soul. This is not a promise I am giving to you from experience, but this, is, this promise is set forth by Christ himself. Let me read you this verse before I end. Christ himself says in Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29, he says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I want to repeat that. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lonely in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. The Christian life is not necessarily an easy one. But it is the only one in which your soul and your heart will find rest with the teachings of Jesus. I know coming to church and doing all the things that the church asks you to do could be hard. 
And you know, Jesus doesn't say, I'll make everything easy for you. He says, take on my yoke. Already acknowledging, in some sense, it's going to be hard. But it's the only place. The only place in all of the earth where your soul will find rest. My hope for Grace Presbyterian Church is this. That you would continue in your pursuit to know all of Jesus. Because it is only there your soul and your heart will find contentment. And it is the only place in which your life will be enthralled by the movings of Christ. Know him. Know all of Jesus. Is Jesus safe? No, he's not safe. But he's the king. And he is good. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that you are fully man and fully God. And Lord, we can't comprehend that always. And with that, we can't always comprehend your teaching and Lord, the requirements you have of us. But I pray, Lord Father, that we would continue to go to church to learn more about you. Lord, that we would continue to understand and research and study your mission more. And Lord Father, that you would give us the spirit of humility so that in all these things we may know truly who you are. For we know that it is only here at your feet where we truly find rest. We thank you, God. Be with Grace Presbyterian Church. Be with all of us, all the Christians here on earth to continually fix their eyes upon you and give you glory forevermore. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.